Today's Americano is sponsored by Google. Parents want their children to be safe and confident explorers of the digital world, but sometimes it can be tricky to find the balance. So Google created Be Internet Legends. It's a free learning program that teaches children online safety skills through fun, PSHE accredited resources for teachers, and a fun online game for families too. In partnership with Parent Zone, B Internet Legends has reached over 70% of UK primary schools with its free toolkits and school assemblies. To find out more and see how Google resources can help your school, search B Internet Legends. Hello and welcome to the Americano podcast, a series of discussions about American politics and now the Joe Biden presidency. We will be looking at how a 78-year-old president will change America and we'll be asking if normalcy, which is what he promised to bring, has returned to American politics. The answer, of course, is no. I'm joined today by Kate Andrews, who is The Spectator's economics editor and a regular on the Americano podcast. And we're going to be asking if America, the richest country in the world, is running out of money. Kate, well, today we had the the Democrats and the Republicans have sort of just about patched together a late agreement to extend uh, the debt ceiling, which is a, a sort of thing that pops up uh, on a fairly regular basis yeah. in American life. And it seems that it's always this sort of game of brinkmanship or chicken with the debt ceiling that happens between the Republicans and Democrats and the Republicans or the the opposition party refused to agree to raising the debt ceiling. The Republicans, in this case, refused to do it. And nobody wants to be responsible for America actually defaulting on its debt. So finally, one side caves and they agree that America should borrow more money. But why is America in this situation? Well, America likes these days to spend a lot more money than is probably wise and certainly than we have. And as you say, Freddie, a short-term appropriations bill was signed by Joe Biden very late last night. This has basically kicked the can down the road until early December, where I'm sure the fights will start again. And what the Republicans have been saying is that they are, broadly speaking, happy to support a government funding bill, but they don't want to support the suspension of how much the government can borrow. So that debt ceiling cap is essentially the amount of debt that can be taken on by the U.S. Treasury. And what the Republicans are trying to do at the moment is, you know, Joe Biden has been elected on a, on a mandate to spend a lot of money. He's decided to take that as far as he possibly can and is proposing multiple trillions of dollars into infrastructure packages and climate packages and support and welfare packages. And essentially what the Republicans want to do is put a huge amount of distance between themselves and the Democratic Party in this spending spree. So going into 2022, when the finances inevitably look a lot worse, they can say, well, we did not condone this. We tried to stop it, in fact. The difficulty is that when you get into this debt ceiling standoff, parts of the government end up shutting down. Sometimes it can be quite funny. I mean, there, you know, there was a time, I think it was under Barack Obama, when they had government officials basically working to tell people that they couldn't enter the national parks rather than actually just, you know, maintaining the national parks because of, of the debt ceiling and the shutdown. It's not so funny right now because there are major questions about 
what essential things would continue and what wouldn't be considered essential. For example, would work on vaccines, would work on treatments for COVID, would work on the vaccine rollout be considered essential? I think there's some fear mongering here in the sense that, I mean, of course that's essential. I think any any normal person would just say yes, but this is government, this is bureaucracy, so who knows what side of the line it might fall down on. And then of course there's so much instability and people are still, you know, America's dealing with the Delta wave right now, something that here in the UK we experience quite heavily over the spring months and the early summer months. You know, America's trying to get back on its feet. Growth is a little bit questionable at the moment because people are still worried about the virus. So it's just, it's really not a great time for this. The last thing I would say, though, is, you know, we're talking about raising the debt ceiling now up from $28 trillion. I mean, any listener that has a great way of describing how they can get their head around that number, how they can describe it, please write in because it's an unbelievable amount of money. And now you have people like the Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen saying, well, we're not even sure that there should be a debt ceiling. We might, we're not sure we want to suspend it. Maybe we just abolish it. I mean, this is how nations spectacularly fail eventually. So there's a lot of merit, I think, in anybody who from a fiscally responsible position wants to say, wait a second, are we really going to keep pouring the gasoline on top of that debt pile? But, you know, it's not obvious the Republicans are doing that. They love spending money under Donald Trump. The Democrats love spending money under Joe Biden. You know, this is politics right now. I don't think it's really about the state of the finances. Well, I mean, you say that about Yellen, but I, I could sort of see her point in that it's so absurd, this circus around the debt ceiling that comes around, goes around. There are government shutdowns and then they eventually do just raise the debt anyway. I mean, if this isn't restraining government spending, then maybe it is just a waste of time. Yeah, so the circus around it is ridiculous, but the principle I don't think is. The idea is that our politicians have to be accountable in the states when they're going to spend outrageous amounts of money. There can be good reasons for doing it. I mean, economists on the left and the right would say that back in 2020, that was a really good time to be splashing the cash, that in the state of emergency, that's exactly when you want governments to spend money. The question is, you know, in the better days when it isn't raining and when you want to be mending the ceiling, do you want to be spending two, three, four trillion dollars on these packages that Biden's putting forward? And I take your point, Freddie. It's a real shame that we're not having a high level debate in the states about what that kind of money means, whether or not these packages are worth it and what it means for the country. But I do think there's a lot of merit in a system that holds politicians accountable and you can trace back and see who did decide to increase the debt ceiling? Who did decide that we needed to spend more money? Because, I mean, we're really lucky that this hasn't come to a head yet, but with inflation figures the way they're going, with people continuing to bury their heads in the sand, you know, there's increasing nervousness that this just isn't sustainable. So the fact that they at least have to get together to talk about it, debate it, and vote on it, I think is overall probably a good thing. Well, I mean, in the bill that was signed, just signed, Biden added in, I think, six billion for resettling Afghanistani refugees, which is a major cost. I think there's 28 billion for emergency disaster aid. What I don't understand is how these things sort of get shuffled about, tacked onto one bill, tacked onto another. And, you know, eventually these billions do start adding up to trillions. Yeah, and they certainly have done. But this is just classic American politics. I mean, throwing six billion in is like chump change to the president of the United States. And um, as you say, Freddie, it does 
add up. I mean, if you're looking at a country like America, six billion, you know, it's a much bigger figure in the UK. Six billion in America is so strange to talk about these numbers in this way, right? But not as big of a figure. But this is just what they do. They just throw in all these tidbits and you very often discover them down the line. I mean, of course, famously with Obamacare, you know, Nancy Pelosi, we have to pass it to find out what's in it. It was mocked mercilessly, but there's so much truth in this. I mean, you do have a few real stand-up American politicians who, you know, refuse to vote on things before they've actually read the bill. That should be the case for all politicians, but it's just not how it works in America. You know, if you pass something, assume that billions worth have have gone under the radar, snuck under the radar without you knowing a thing about it. You're a pretty positive person, I'd say, Kate. Thanks, Fred. But it seems to me, it seems to me, looking at how this happens in America and how dysfunctional Washington is, you know, it's not just voters grumbling about it. It's a sign of systemic dysfunction that the government cannot seem to control its spending. It can't seem to agree on how to not control its spending. <laughs> I mean, is this a sign of a country that's that's starting to become dysfunctional? Oh, I would say we were dysfunctional quite some time ago. It's actually such a testament to the American economy, private enterprise and American workers and the people that we keep ticking along and not just ticking along. I mean, you know, thanks to Donald Trump's tax cuts, frankly, that we actually got to see some pretty impressive growth for a time and that wages for the first time in a long time started to meaningfully go up. But that is no thanks to government. And I point my finger at the right as much as I do the left these days. But of course, there's a lot of infighting too, right? So we can talk about government, but I mean, just pick one party and you can see how badly it's breaking down. The Republicans are still an absolute mess from the fallout of January 2021. You know, going into the midterms next year, there is a huge opportunity for the Republican Party to take the Senate, which they basically need to take back by one or two votes, by one vote to deprive the the Democrats of their majority. And then, you know, from there, they can build up their own. And the House is, is within their grasp as well. But you still have Donald Trump, desperate to play kingmaker, possibly desperate to be the king himself, and the party's in turmoil. Then look at the Democrats this week. Joe Biden had to pull his infrastructure bill from the floor for a second time, I believe, not because he's worried about the Republican vote, but because he can't get the Democratic Party to vote for it, because it's not left-wing enough, because the separate $3.5 trillion tax and spend bill is something that the left of the party wants to make sure is guaranteed if they vote for this $1 trillion infrastructure package. They're saying you don't get infrastructure without getting all that other money as well. And so, yeah, he doesn't have the votes within his own party to pass it. It's it's really quite remarkable the extent to which the left seems... They would argue that, you know, this is what they're there to do, they're there to push. But Joe Biden's going to argue... I was the moderate in the Democratic Party, and I won the biggest electoral mandate for the president of the United States in U.S. history. And I guess the the question is whether or not those who are on the left of the party have the ability to to ruin his whole agenda. But I suppose if politics is the art of the compromise, Biden seems to be doing something rather different, which is not just getting different different opposing sides within his party to agree. He's just giving them as much money as he can for all of their projects, particularly on infrastructure. So there's some infrastructure stuff that centrist Democrats are quite keen on that sort of 
blue dog Democrats, if you like, have always been keen on, which is, you know, fixing roads, building airports. You've got some Republican like sympathy, too. I mean, a lot of parts in America are really run down. You've yes. got some Republican sympathy as well. They want to spend less money than the president does. But actually, it's, it's one area where there has been some bipartisan support for putting a decent spending package behind it. But then you've got people like Joe Manchin from West Virginia and the Democratic Party who are saying, no, I am, you know, you, my condition for supporting your infrastructure package is that I do not want to do the crazy spending on everything else that the far left of the party does. So before Biden really even tackles the Republicans, he's got to bring together the the Democratic Party. And I I think you're seeing really the opportunities for the Republicans in future elections here. Joe Biden, as a man, as a person, has managed to pull together hugely different parts of the party. And so much of that was opposition to Donald Trump. And he did it very, very well, as we saw in the final uh, results of the election. But actually governing trying to bring them together and keeping them together for the next set of elections is going to be way more difficult. Maybe, if, you know, the worst thing, I would argue this, wouldn't I, Freddie, and I'm, I'm sure some of your listeners will disagree, but the worst thing that could happen to the Republican Party is Donald Trump shows back up because it will give the left something to unite around again. But if he doesn't, it is so hard to see how AOC and Joe Manchin fit in the same party. And I think, I think even Biden as likable as he has come to be with the public, especially in election time, will will struggle to keep them together. Well, it seems like the American public don't like him as much as they did. I mean, certainly his job approval rankings are, are tanking, really. If you look from January, it's been a steady decline. He's now under 45%. I did a piece this week saying if, if he continues on the same trajectory, he'll be less popular than Trump was at the same stage in the Trump presidency by December. As you say that he was sort of elected and inaugurated in a kind of general mood of like post-Trump sort of relief more than anything because it was such a chaotic end to the presidency and now it seems people are already a bit fed up with him quite early on in, in, in still his first year as president. Well, it was an excellent blog, Fred, that you wrote, and I think your your criticisms were spot on, actually. I mean, the president has made a lot of catastrophic mistakes recently, and he hasn't been as willing to work across the aisle as he was promising in the lead-up to the election and after when he was inaugurated. It was a big part of his speech. The coldness that seemed to come across him in terms of the Afghanistan debacle, I think, surprised a lot of his voters because almost whether you agreed with him or not, he was so narrow-minded about the whole thing. It definitely felt towards the end that this was not a man who was actually taking considerations anymore. He was just going to keep doing it, and it did result in, has resulted in in lives lost. So I I can understand completely why that approval rating has slipped. Do you think generally, though, there's just still a sense that people like Joe? They might not actually like him as president. They may not like the way that he governs almost sort of feel a bit sorry for him because yeah there there is this sort of geriatric aspect to him there's certainly a softness now that you can even see world leaders take with him boris johnson did it you know like a, a protection around the president's because of his vulnerabilities but everyone does it fred i mean there's and i do think again that i don't see people doing that for someone like donald trump in the same position it does come back down to a joe biden like ability but but as said, I mean, the people who really dislike him right now are the left of his party. And um, this was always a question that you and I have been asking for a long time now, if he won. And then once he did win, what was that dynamic going to be with the left? And I think you and I have both always been skeptical that this is a, a congregation that can be kept together under the same church 
I don't know what that metaphor was. I think you and I have always been skeptical that this is a, a big group that can be so tightly held together. They don't have a lot in common when you break it down. Well, one thing we have speculated on before is that perhaps he actually wants to lose in the midterms. It might be beneficial. Obviously, he doesn't want to as such, but it might be beneficial politically. And Team Biden might be thinking it might be beneficial for them politically to lose in the midterms, as Obama did in 2010. And it meant that his presidency really didn't get a lot done in the second part of his first term. And however, it did mean that he he was able to sort of blame Republican intransigence. Mm. Um, He could appear to be working across the aisle more or trying to work across the aisle more. And he didn't have to deal with the left of his party, which he seems to have less control over. Yeah, it's definitely possible. The caveat to that, of course, is that he, he wants to get his spending bills through, right? I could actually see a delighted Joe Biden administration to just be able to tell the the far left of his party for two years, nope, sorry, they've got Congress, we can't do anything. But that's with the huge caveat that they can do something now, because if they can't pass any of these bills, he's worse than a lame duck president. I mean, he was essentially not a president. Well, certainly on the domestic front. And again, you have the irony similar to Obama is that, you know, his his legacy may well become defined by foreign policy and by, in the case of Biden, a, a virus. And that's not what Biden wants to be defined by. He wants to be defined by his domestic agenda. So he's got to get it through before the next election. Kate, I'm sure we'll discuss this again in due course. Thanks very much for joining us. Thank you, Freddie. Thank you very much for listening to that episode of Americano. If you enjoyed it, please subscribe. And if you really enjoyed it, please leave us a star rating, preferably five stars, and a review. 